Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience, powered by Gasoline Alley Harley-Davidson. My guest today is sports therapist Kirsty McCall. Kirsty has a background in psychology and representative history playing rugby union. Kirsty's business, Scout Co., based on the south side of Brisbane, specialises in athletes reaching their ultimate human potential. I hope you all enjoy listening to Kirsty as much as I enjoyed the chat. Welcome, Kirsty McCall. Thank you for having me. Truly appreciate it. And um, thanks for, obviously, reached out to you in earlier this year. Um, we've been locked down and opened up and that a few times since. But uh, yeah, cheers for coming in. Yeah, it's good to finally get in. Who is Kirsty McCall? See, I knew you were going to ask me this because I watch your show and I've been thinking about what my answer would be to that. You're going to overcomplicate it? Probably. <laughs> because um, I guess I'm lots of different things to lots of different people. But let's focus on the sport therapist side yep. of me. Um, so I'm trained as a remedial massage therapist and also sports trainer um, and specialise in uh, elite and semi-elite athletes, um, getting them back to the basically working through rehab and making sure that they're injury-free, prehab, rehab, and making sure that they're at the top of their game. Where, where and why did that all start? Uh, well, I was an athlete myself. I played rugby union from when I was 10 mm-hmm. um, at various representative levels. Um, and at one point I had to give up. And I think that was my identity was rugby union player. And then when I had to give up um, due to injury, um, there was no one really there to support me um, in a way that I really needed. I don't think I knew what I needed at the time, but when your entire identity revolves around a sport uh, and you can no longer do that sport, it takes its toll. So I think I just wanted to be the person that I needed back then. Mm. Um, so I mentioned before I do remedial massage therapy. I also have a degree in psychology and that plays a massive part in my treatments. It's a real holistic treatment. So I take into account the whole body um, and that includes the um, mental side of things as well. That's a, um, that's a very complex complex part of the world to be dealing in and it obviously psychology um, is endless. And then obviously on the sports side of things, same deal. It's it's an endless game that you're constantly learning in, I guess, Sam? It is complex, but at the, on the other side of it, it's it also makes sense. Uh, why would you treat one half of a person um, when an athlete's out playing their sport? They don't leave that mental side at home. It's on the field with them and it can either help or hinder them. So it makes sense to um, understand and nurture that side of the athlete as well as the physical health. Makes sense. Oh, identity. Like that, that's such a common thing for athletes, obviously. Um, you look at any any uh, magazine that talks about when a rugby league player or whatever sport uh, doesn't continue in their sport, it's very hard to retire from. How do you how how do you change that perspective? I think um, if we can try and encourage people to look beyond just their sport and what they bring, there's so much more than just their sport, uh, and there's so trans- so many transferable skills um, and qualities and values within the sport. And if you have to retire. I was hit hard, I'll be honest, but then I started working as a sports trainer. So I started off just as first aid. And then I realised that I loved being part of the culture of being part of a team again. Mm-hmm. Okay, I wasn't playing, but I was still in the sheds. I was strapping people. I was doing first aid. I was doing the socials afterwards and just being part of the club culture again. There's so many different parts that you can play. Some people go into um, coaching. Some people go into um, commentating, like elite athletes, and just being part of the sport. You don't necessarily have to be competing, but I th- that's easy enough to say, but if only if you're, I guess, resilient enough. So it's building the resiliency in 
athletes to know that there's so much more than just their sport. Yeah, to build that actual, it's like another character. Because when you're playing a sport, it's probably like a character's been portrayed at some point, different away from your home life and things like that. And then the next character of your evolution is probably the next thing that comes through, I guess. That's it. And I think understanding that it is a character, it's a persona and it's not all of you. Mm. So don't let it consume you. And um, I've worked with plenty of athletes to know that they might be one person on the field and or in the ring and someone else at home. Different, different story. Now, we're not going to name any names, but Rugby League had a fair hit the other day with um, a party happening at a house and some players have been suspended and fired. Sure did. Now, one in particular is... Uh, has had an issue, right? Been fired from his club. He's coming to the end of his probably time anyway of career. His identity is wrapped around being a football player and all of a sudden you have a sudden, sudden basically loss of job. Everyone in the sport is thinking, why did this happen? Like, what, how did you, uh, why did you have this party, for instance? How do you give someone, not hope, but how do you give someone a... Um, their next phase of life, because we probably won't get a job in media for now. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of negative press around that particular person at the moment. How do you give someone hope as a psychologist and someone into sport? That's a really interesting question. I had no idea that that would be the, the nature of this. <laughs> I'm so I sorry. Love it. But... No, no, I love it. I like that people are actually asking these questions and even considering the psyche of someone who's being portrayed as a baddie. That's a trouble, um, yeah. I guess. Um, and that that is really interesting. And I, and I think the only way forward is for said individual to practice some humility and um, eat some humble pie and think very carefully about how they want to portray themselves going forward. And if they, I think a lot of people are are quite quick and happy to um, forgive Mm. uh, when remorse is shown. Um, So I think if the person was to come forward and sort of portray themselves as remorseful and um, I don't don't know, it's a really difficult question, but... um, Next steps, I guess, have to be chosen very wisely. Um, but, yeah, for now it is very heated. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the sporting world, like you sort of touched on as well, it's a really forgiving world. Rugby league, like as an example, the amount of things that have happened, next thing the person's the front page hero, which is great. Like that's, you know, you, rede- you can redeem yourself. But this one at the current time is, is a difficult situation. And, you know, I... I it's a mistake, but I really feel sorry for, you know, those photos of the house that the party was at. It's probably an expensive house. Now his wage has been cut. He's been ragged out by everyone in the press. Um, bad mistake, but at the same time, it's a, it's it's a um, it is a mistake. You know, hundred percent. And um, yeah, that's a difficult one because it's not a malicious mistake. But however. <laughs> It's a big mistake, especially in the current time. Everyone's warned and inside the hubs there's obviously training about what you can and can't do and everything like that. So not making excuses. I just feel like, wow, that it's a mistake. Yeah, it does, it does raise some questions about systemic issues in sport though in that athletes and people surrounding sport, professional sport, they're paid very, very well, may think that they're above the rules. Yes. Um, so player education, um, the culture, as you say, it's a very forgiving world. It's almost, which can be very, very good, um, but it can also be bad because people forgive terrible things because their favourite player will score a couple of tries at the weekend. True. Um, So it can be quite bigoted, I think. Um, So, yes, forgiving, but um, 
ah, there is definitely a systemic issue within the players that they need to know how to behave and they need to know how to act. And I know we talk about role models and whether they wanted to be or not, but tough luck, you are a role model. Yeah. The second you decide to be a professional athlete, you're a role model and you have to act like that. Yeah, and you're on TV for at least 80 minutes a week where kids, families, whatever are watching, so yeah, you are that role model and it's someone that people do see as a leader mm. and, you know... Um, in all sides of the sport. And, yeah, it's just a real tough one. But, uh, yeah, it's just something I wanted to ask you about how how in that situation because no doubt, and you'd hope the club is providing, I'm sure they would be services externally because it's a big kick, you know, lose your job, get harassed by the media and basically everything in the space of a few days. That's it. And you touched on that there, the media as well. For um, sure. The media's got the power to make or break you and that. Um, that's a whole other conversation, I, I, I yeah. should think. But, um, yeah, media are very tough on our athletes, especially our NRL players, and I think they forget that our players are human. Definitely. Not just athletes. And, um, yeah, to post pictures of their house or their private life, you can report in a story without, you know, villainizing, you know, completely yeah. tearing them apart. So Showing just shows every facet of their life, you know. Like we get, we get a really good insight into their – like the good side of the media is you watch the, um, you watch the coverage. You get, you know, the state of, start of state of origin. You have like a great insight to a couple of the key players each each time, and same with every game. But you get a good insight into their life. But you don't need to see every. You don't need to see their house, for instance, at the front of it. Like you make out everything. You you don't need it. Um, no, but yeah, but you always see the bad things. You do, um, and you don't see the amazing things that for the, the footy players do. They go down to the park and or they go down to local clubs and they do all this amazing work with young for athletes sure. or charity work or indigenous communities. And you don't really see that. Yeah, the media choose to, to show focus the bad. on the bad. We, yeah, you know, <laughs> we're going to bash. We're bashing this here now, but um, what sells the papers or what sells the digital ads? It's sadly, it's the things that get conversation going and. Um, it's not the positive things. You can put out all the positive things and someone, even even on the podcast, you put out something and it's just a little bit um, a little bit edgy. It'll have comments coming through or, or I'll get messages and stuff like that. But usually the things that I put out that are happy or something, it, it's minimal engagement. Yeah. That's on my small little world. It needs to be controversial. You have to be, Yeah, which is weird. And that's <laughs> not the space I want to like go into, you know. But yeah. Interesting. Why rugby for you? Um, like originally. Interesting because I, um, I I grew up in Scotland and um, it's quite a big rugby community now, but growing up everyone I knew in my entire family were football, so soccer. Um, my big brother was a football player and from the age of two or three I would go down and do the little football sessions. Um, and then we moved to England, uh, the southwest of England, Devon, in, when I was about 10. So I was in the last year of primary school and we were playing Bulldog, British Bulldog in the playground. I don't know if you, I think you call it Bull Rush here. Yeah. And, um, and I was playing and I, I was such a tomboy and I was taking out the boys and I was taking, you know, taking them down to the ground, tackling them. And one of the boys just comes up at the end of break and said, uh, you should come play for our rugby team. I was like, all right. And my mom's such a tomboy as well. She's like, okay, cool. I know nothing about rugby, but let's go. Um, and I absolutely loved it. Turns out, although I wasn't very fast, I was very good at tackling. Uh, just had no fear. Um, yeah. And I played um, three seasons, two, three seasons with the boys team as, um, in mixed. There was a couple of us. Um, and then it got to an age where you were no longer allowed to play mixed. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I actually got selected for the um, like the county representative team, but they said you need to have a club uh, to be able to play. So I was like, okay, we'll just make one. So my mum and I made a junior of. Uh, uh, girls rugby club um at Tavistock my hometown and and I believe it's still going I'm not sure but um yeah we, we had it at, at one point an under 13s under 15s and under 18s um team I played there um until I went to uni um yeah I just love it um you made a club yeah well we had a club I made we made a yeah, girl section. girls section of the club. yeah that's unreal yeah at my at my club I want to play for Tavistock that's who I am and yeah. uh, so we made a girls team and we got some really great coaches in my mum was the manager and um, my brother ended up coaching at one point my little sister played um, so they yeah. came from football and came across oh my bro- my brother's one of those really annoying people that can play any sport so he played both at the same time <laughs> can balance really well can do this yeah. <laughs> like play an instrument but, uh, oh no that's the one thing he can't do that I can do because <laughs> some of those people you look at me and go are you serious you can do all that yeah. so and you think oh. but I definitely think I um I pulled my mum over to rugby rather than football. She loves cool. it. How is how how was the competition at that time over there? Um, where we were in the southwest, I think um, rugby's really big. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was actually quite a bit of competition. I mean, we didn't have the leagues weren't as competitive. We sort of just um, the first few years we just have three teams show up and we just divide into two um, just so we can play and get yep. some game time. But the standard grew so quickly. Uh, we had a really good setup for for um, girls and women. Well, especially Actually, girls, not so much women. So women's is getting there now, but um, under 15, under 18 girls. Um, so we had people playing Devon County and Southwest England. Um, I, I represented Scotland, and a couple of my teammates represented England under 20s. Um, so there was there was a lot of opportunity um, from a young age. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Do you, do you keep like obviously with the sport you're in now? Do you keep um, in focus the rugby league and women's? competition do you watch that or i love yeah i love women's rugby league great, hey? i don't know if you caught the origin game the other week how entertaining was that it's unreal it's proper it is football. unreal i mean how much is the so i started watching women's rugby league um pretty much as soon as i got here I, I was never into rugby league growing up in the uk it's pretty much non-existent unless you live in that tiny pocket is that of right england yeah <laughs> so it's getting there now maybe yeah. but still it's just around that sort of hull st helens area the yeah. rest of the country is like what's rugby league i'd never even watched it until um i met my partner who's aussie That's crazy. Uh, and i watched state of origin for the first time i think in 2010 um and then i was just hooked um but but yeah once i moved over here and started watching the women's rugby league I would always support women's sport, obviously, yep. being a female athlete myself. Um, but the standard when I first got here was, you know, like, okay, yep, we need to start somewhere. But do you see what happens when you just give a little bit of money, a little bit of yep. exposure, a little bit of better facilities and... Some good coaching, everything. Exactly. Yep. And in the space of sort of the, well, the six, seven years I've been here, the standard is just, the trajectory is insane. And that standard of game uh, the other week in the women's origin was just incredible. And you're getting all the like the good commentators are saying and hundred percent agree it's better football than the men's football. Like the hits are better. The actual game plays it reminds me of football a few years like rugby league a few years ago. Just the way the game's been played. It's really cool. It's and really exciting to watch. I've got a theory behind that and um what is it? being that a lot of these women didn't play as a child. Uh, a lot of them took mm. it up as um, teenagers or even in their 20s. And so they play the way they've been coached. They're coachable and they play textbook style rugby league or it's same in union textbook style. So they, they tackle exactly the way you're supposed to do, the way you're coached to, rather than I think a lot of the men, because they've been playing for so long, they just sort of like 
I don't know, wing it. It's like a nature thing. Yeah. It's like a nature, you know? Yeah. Yep. So it's just a bit more um, the men have that, that, that talent and ability um, and experience and the woman gets a little bit more technical because they're following exactly what they've been coached to do. Yep. So I think that's why and back in, you know, the day – why you said it reminds you of the old school footy because is. that was exactly yeah. what happened. So maybe the woman will go that way as well. But at the moment it's it's very interesting and, and very entertaining. Yeah. yeah. And the hits are massive. They are. Like some of the hits you're like, oh, I'd hate to have it. I'd hate to be hit that hard. <laughs> yeah, tell me, but I played I played uh, one season of league here. I was I was really – I assumed I'd be good because I was good at union. Yeah. I was so terrible, but I loved my one season. I just wanted to have the experience of doing it. So why were you terrible? What, what was oh, it? Oh, God, I thought that sport – I didn't realise how different the sports were. Okay. Watching it on TV, um, my instinct as a prop was just to follow the ball. Yep. Um, and then I've got Ali Brigginshaw go get back, get back to the centres. So I was like, put the ball's over there. I want to be yep. over there. And um, – so that for one and two, obviously six years after I retired, um, I was a little bit heavier, a little bit Things slower. Things speed up. My brain – so in Union, I knew the game inside out. Yeah. Uh, I was a player. I was a coach. I was a referee. I was a spectator. I knew the game inside out. I had a rugby brain. Yeah. Um, although my body might not be quick enough to hit that line, I could see it, you know, and uh, I was captain of all my clubs and um, – I knew the sport inside out and then I came to rugby league and I was a little bit vulnerable because I didn't grow up with it. I don't have a rugby league brain. Um, I don't fully understand the plays and the calls and remembering, okay, we're going to do a double up. I'm like, oh, which one's that again? It was like remembering, <laughs> really trying to like m- memorize all the different plays. It was. I was really bad. I mean, the one thing that I re- retained was um, my ability to tackle. So I was still a reliable defender. So I'll stand by that. But um, the first touch of the ball, I was playing for Ipswich Brothers um, against um, Tweed Heads. And um, I don't know, you know, the Sims Brothers, yeah. um, you know, Ruan Sims and yeah. this uh, younger one, CJ Sims. And she was playing. And my first touch of the ball was a hit up against CJ Sims. And God, she put me on my ass. And I mean, I got straight up again. Yeah. And, the, and then the second touch of the ball, straight again. And actually what Ali said to me as soon as she gave me the ball was, run at anyone except her. And I was sort of started to run towards the middle and she was just following me. I was like, oh, I might as well just take this head on. And I uh, took the hit up. And it was really cool because as I got up, it was a friendly game. I know it's just a trial match at the beginning of the season. And she, I remember her saying to me, good hit, sis. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't even too bad then, but she did hit me. She's like an Amazonian princess. Like, she is big. Yeah. <laughs> she the whole smashed fa- me. The whole family, hey. They yeah. got like a gene that's it's just like concrete. That's you it. So. They're just, oh, they're insane, but really cool girl. Cool. And from from what, what I see externally, they seem like a cool cool family too. Yeah. Like, well, they're all, it certainly all looks into that way. it. Yeah. <laughs> that's unreal. Yeah. So, do you know, like, when, um, when players, doesn't matter what the sport, they talk about losing half a stride? Is that like what you felt for that part? Like in, in those years you'd, you'd just lost, not speed, but you could see it, but you'd lost a stride. It was really hard for me, hey. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to do it is because I'm really competitive and I was like, I, I don't want to get to a point where I can't do it anymore. I want to be mm. able to say that I've done it, I've tried it and, and whatever. But also I missed being part of a team. I was really starting to feel a bit down. My mental health wasn't great. And I said to myself, when was I happiest? When I was part of a team, I'm going to go and just play a season. And I think it was hard because I remember what I used to be like. I used to train six days a week. I used to play sometimes three times a week. I was fit. I might've been big, but I was fit and I was good at what I did. And I get up and I just do it again the next day. And I would go to training, um, when I was playing for brothers and I get up the next day and I'd be sore. I'd have an ice bath after training. We hadn't even done contact. 
And I just remember <laughs> thinking, when did I get old? <laughs> How did this change? <laughs> exactly. I was like, when yeah. did I get old? And then we'd be, and I was on the bench and I might get 10 minutes. I was like, I'm not used to being on the bench. I'm a, you know, I'm always in the starting team. I'm always the captain, you know. I represent us, like, it's Scotland, you know. So really my ego took a hit. Yep. Um, I like to think I don't have much of an ego, but I think I discovered something about myself then where I was like, I don't like this. Um, I mean, it was pretty good. One one um, week I didn't get selected for the team and my coach said, oh, you can go down, drop down and play for like our sister club, Red Bank. And I was like, yeah, okay, it'd be good to get some match experience. Um, so that was good because I bossed it and I played the whole game. I was unfit, but I smashed it and I was one of the sort of star players on the day. But that's just the difference between Div 1 and Div 3. You know, it's it's crazy different, the wow. um, the level at the moment in women's sport. It's getting there. Um, but we just quite have, we haven't quite got that depth yet that we need. Um, but, yeah, I think I lost more than half a stride. <laughs> <I think. laughs> <Painful>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think I lost a half a kilometre. Um, it wasn't – yeah, it, it, it was bad. Um, but I'm glad I did it. I made some – new friends and um, kind of emerge myself in women's rugby league again, which is nice. So how, how have you found, obviously coming from rugby union, how have you found your home here? Because you're pretty engulfed in rugby league now. I am. Um, as I said, I never even watched it until 2009, mm. uh, sorry, 2010. And that was like sort of Darren Lockyer, Sammy Thade, JT. And I fell in love with that team, especially Sammy Thade. He's my favourite. I just remember I was like, said to Simon, I was like, who's hey, that guy's flicking his hair back? He goes, oh, Sam favorite for life um <laughs> and then when I moved I moved here in 2014 yep. um and my husband joined the local team at Springwood um and I mean he came home from training one night and he's like hey we need a first aid person and the club's willing to pay for it um do you want to do it I was like mm, yeah okay fine like I'm going to be there every weekend away so I might as well help out yep. I did my level one sports trainer course the the blue shirts mm-hmm. um on the field um and I did that for um, a season and then I was like actually I really like this like the strapping and um, the player first aid and it's a bit more than that people I hate it when people call me a first aid officer I'm, like, I'm not a first aid officer I'm a sports trainer and the reason I say that's because it's more like player welfare management you're sort of their go-to for anything yeah. um, to do with their mental and physical well-being um, so I did my level two which is the orange shirt and I've been an orange shirt for um, five years now um, and Springwood was great because the coach there happened to be selected to be the coach for Samoa Queensland Rugby League and he said um, he wanted to bring his own staff with him. So he took he brought me into Samoa Queensland and I've been wow. part of them for years. In fact, I'm on the committee now. I have been for two, three years um, and that's been amazing. That's taken me to some amazing places. I've been to Samoa twice, um, been up to Cairns to the World Cup. We um, played the curtain raiser before the Samoa Scotland game, which was a draw, by the way. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then from there, I've gone um, to work in women's as well, but I'm definitely engulfed in rugby league now to the point where if I watch a union game, I'm like, oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, you gotta, you've got these rucks and malls and real scrums. <laughs> yeah, an actual scrum. <laughs> yeah. Just scrap it. Just get on with the day. I remember the yeah, I remember <laughs> the first few times I watched rugby league and I was like, why are they even bothering to have a scrum? That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's just a lean on. <laughs> like really, just scrap it. Yeah, <laughs> true. So like it's got to a point now, like it's, very rarely there's a con- like a contest or against decision in there. Like it's just just a waste of waste of time. But at, at at the current time when they've sped the game up so much, it does give an opportunity to probably pull back a bit of pace. Funny you should say that. I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday that mm-hmm. I think the game has evolved too quickly for 
the players. Um, uh, you've, you've got all my notes written down. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true though. Like um, they keep trying to make it more entertaining, more fat or faster and, yep. and all these things. It's like, well, there's human beings playing this at the end of the day and there's so many more injuries than there used to be and there's so many more head highs and ACLs and it's ridiculous. It's What's just the other one? Osmosis? That's the... What's that? Is it osmosis? What's the one with the toes and that that people keep having? It's a name like osmosis. I don't know. There's a lot of syndesmosis injuries. Syndes- the ankle, yeah. Ankles, yeah. feet and stuff. You know. Yeah. So it's just ridiculous the amount of injuries that there are these days. And even just, I was talking to someone the other day that just this season, the amount of games that have been ridiculously one-sided or really high scoring. Terrible. And I'm like, do you ever remember a time like this in yeah. rugby league? Even last year. Last year wasn't like this. No. You know, yeah. You look at, like, early in the season, you look at the first sort of five or six games, the injury ward was huge. Like, I'm like, this isn't right. Like, Yeah, it's well, we just... did pre-season, didn't we? And then suddenly they turned it off and yep. then they're like, okay, we're playing again now. We're on, yeah. And, and then you look at the Roosters, they're decimated, you know, and a lot of the injuries are – obviously they have a terrible time with concussions um, out of the Roosters, but a lot of the injuries are uh, shoulders, knees, ankles, things yeah, that you're thinking, hamstrings. is it too fast? Yeah. So the players, I think, are being there's too much expected of them. Yeah, you look at the yard runnage, the yard runnage per game, um, and you know, uh, AFL people look at it and go, "Oh, you're only running whatever the amount of k's is compared," but it's like you're not getting hit and then up and down, up and down like you are in rugby league. I mean, I don't know an awful lot about AFL, but the few games I've watched, I think there's a reason why most of the players are very, very young. I don't think it's a uh, a game that you can play for very Tear long. Tear your body apart, eh? <laughs> yeah. Like you're running, I think it's something like 16Ks average a game or something. And the, all the shoulder charges and, yeah. oh, it's ridiculous. Hard on your body. Yeah. But uh, what, do you, what do you think would be, like if you if you're in the top top seat of rugby league, the commission, what would your thing be as a health perspective for the sport currently? I think they're getting too strict on the interchange. Um, okay. I think I don't think there's any need for it. I think yep. we still have a very entertaining game um, with, I mean, if I was in charge, it'd be unlimited interchange. <laughs> yeah, back to what it was. <laughs> exactly, yeah. and I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a reason why we can't have that, um, I, unless you know you're trying to make it really strategic or whatever. But I think the health and welfare of the players need to be put first. Mm. Um, yeah, it's too much is expected of them, and people are playing on through injury because there's no one else into, left to go on. Or yeah, I, I just think, and recovery as well. I'm not mentioning any names, but. I used to have um, a client who played for an NRL club um, and at one point I asked him, I said, oh, surely you've got massage therapists or remedial therapists at the club? And he said, "Mm, not really, hey. He's like, occasionally we'll get students um, but they're not very good and they just get starstruck and don't listen to us. Like we've got one physio that will sort of come speak to us if we've got an injury. But I'm like, so in terms of recovery, what have they got? Oh, we kind of got to do our own recovery. And I was like, are you serious? NRL club. You got it's to like do your factory. own recovery. You think you just you walk under that banner and you you just looked after. Yeah. That's what you hope. And they also don't have – so I, I said, oh, you know, do you have a sports psychologist or something like that? Oh, we've got a counsellor that we can speak to. I was like, that's not what I mean. I don't I don't mean, you know – I mean, that's great that they've got a counsellor if it's um, – and that's a focus on mental health. It's great. But psychology is way much more than mental health. Um, and I think we as a society have a focus on – wait till you hit rock bottom with mental health and then do something about it. But really psychology is preventative mental health 
because um, mental health is actually a good thing. Poor mental health is a bad thing. Um, and I know certainly in my experience of mental health, people don't want to hear about it until you've hit rock bottom and you need help. And they say, why didn't you say anything? <laughs> just bang your head against the wall. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's sort of um, definitely inspired my work is like, well, why should we wait until we're not well? You know, surely, um, you know, if this is us at homeostasis and this is poor mental health and this is good mental health, surely we should be working towards this constantly yeah. rather than waiting till we fall into that before trying to build back up again. It's far more, you know, normalise... Um, going to see a psychologist, normalise meditation, normalise gratitude and all these things have been scientifically proven, not hippie, I'm not a hippie, well maybe I'm a little bit at heart but I'm a scientific hippie Um, all these things have been shown to biologically or physiologically improve your mental well-being so why aren't we normalising that from a young age and that's certainly what I'm trying to do um, with, I say my kids some of the the kids I work with at age 14 to 18, elite athletes, if we can try and sort of instil in them the importance of their mental health as part of being an athlete and yep. being a, a human, um, then they can be more resilient going forward. And, and I call that my champion mindset, which is um, motivation, resilience, and gratitude. So yep. if you can sort of understand what motivates you, and we all know that the intrinsic motivation is far more effective than extrinsic motivation. So something that you really care about as opposed to money and trophies. Um, so if you can find out your why, so what motivates you and what keeps you going and you can control that. And so under motivation and arousal, you might be one of those people that needs to roll yourself up for a game. Yeah. And that might be the person that listens to heavy metal music or drill rap music before you go out. Or you might be someone that's already at the other end of the spectrum and you need to sort of like calm down a little bit and they might be the people that listen to classical music or um, laid back poly jams or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can harness your motivation, um, you'll get the best, the best out of your game. Um, and then... Uh, resilience and um and gratitude as well that just kind of goes without saying that you know gratitude practices have shown to regulate your dopamine serotonin levels which are your feel-good hormones and and then um you know Hebb's law tells us that neurons that fire together wire together so the more you sort of um do these things the more your brain is comfortable finding that neural circuit and, and you'll look for it and you'll just be become stronger and happier and more content who you are which will then make you more resilient wow <laughs> There's a lot in that, which is good because some of these things, like a lot of these things I've read through your blogs and stuff as well. So intrigued to dig further. Gratitude. Tell yeah. me about gratitude. So, Why is it important? Oh my gosh, the amount of people that, that think gratitude is just for hippies, it's it's – Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my degree is in, you know, I've got a Bachelor of Science, so this is definitely physiological, you know, the studies have shown that consciously practicing gratitude can increase your well-being. So how you choose to do that is up to you. It might be that you like to write a letter, you don't have to send it to anyone, but consciously, you know, write a letter, or um, I know with a lot of sports teams, um, I've in- sort of encouraged the coaches to say um, at the start of the session, what are you grateful for today, or even what went well? And that could just be um, people thanking each other for, oh, um, you know, your play in that area was, you know, whatever it is, just not always focusing on the negative. So you focus on the positives, you give gratitude for it, and then you'll start to notice that. And and then the subsequent subsequent sort of good feelings that come from it being um, increased dopamine and serotonin levels and decreased cortisol, which is your stress hormone and... um, Adrenaline, and we talk about the um, central nervous system a lot in our classes. So you've, you'll have heard of the fight or flight response yep. um, being the triggering the sympathetic nervous system. So basically, if we 
stressed, so something's triggered us, um, our heart rate increases and we go into this sort of and breathing shallows and we go into this stress response. And, and that's when people sort of start to develop um, per mental health or depression or anxiety is when we're stuck in that fight or flight mode for too long. Um, I mean, it's great from an evolutionary point of view. It's, it's designed to help us survive. So if a tiger was to walk in the room now, it's probably good that our body jumps into action and gets us ready to fight it or run away. Yeah. But once the tigers are gone and we're safe, if we don't start to regulate our emotions and regulate our body and, and trigger the parasympathetic response, which is the rest and digest as opposed to the fight or fly, then our body just burns out and our minds burn out and that's when we start to break down. Um, so we need to get better at triggering that parasympathetic response, which is our recovery. So it's not just if you have an injury, but you have to, I guess, just just chill out sometimes and, and just relax yeah and gratitude is one of those yep. um, tools that you can use to do that and mindfulness and meditation and um, mindful breathing and things like that they're all part of that toolkit but I feel like gratitude is the easiest one to implement you literally you're lying in bed at night okay what am I thankful for and I always do it and I, I think I do it on my stories a lot on Instagram as well it's like I'm grateful for you I'm grateful for this and it's nice to receive thanks and it's nice to give thanks so it's a bit of a win-win and I, I guess that's the other part too like you're saying that if you're putting it out there, somebody else is going to be putting it back out there as well. And then it sounds a bit hippy hippy, like you sort of say as well, but if everyone's doing the same thing, we're in a better place straight away. 100%. Yeah. And I have noticed some of my players starting to do it as well. Like, really? Um, I'll say to them, um, it's a little bit awkward at first if they, if they don't come from a family or, or from a background that does that. Yep. But I'll say, I'm really grateful for you um, and what you've done for me. And be specific, you know, when you did this for me, it made me feel like this. So it actually um, means something too. Yep. Exactly. And then I've noticed, um, for example, if someone comes in and I treat them uh, – I cuddle them and go, I appreciate you. And like, it's a bit of a joke, but it's not, you yep. know, and I go, yeah, I know you do. I appreciate you too. And, um, but it's just nice. It's a feel good sort of thing. And Definitely going to help. Like it has to, you know, if everyone's doing that, if everyone's leaving on a positive note or something, generally it's going to work. Hey? Yeah. That's the idea. Education. When you were playing rugby, there would have been none of this, eh? Hey? <laughs> no. So how did you, like, obviously you've studied, you did your Bachelor of Science. How did you pick it all up? What, why was it meaningful at the start? Um, like I think I've always been quite a self-reflective, insightful person. Um, so although I might lack in a few areas, emotional intelligence I definitely make up for. So I've always been really intrigued by how I feel. My oh, I feel. How do I feel? What would I call that? What does that mean? So you've um, always been intrigued with that. Yeah. Mm. Which is which is kind of. Um, I was a little bit of a bit of a black sheep to the rest of my family, I guess, in that um, they weren't as emotional as me, as sensitive as me. Um, but I guess I turned that into a strength um, when I went to uni. Well, I guess I studied psychology at um, at high school, and that's when I was like, oh yeah, I, I get this. And I really, um, I was being really empathetic, and I, um, you know, we'd be learning about these different things. I was like, I get this, I understand this, I can see how that would better someone's life, or um, I don't know, maybe I'm just. Um, just a bit of a hippie at heart and, and, and very nice and I just want everyone to feel good all the time. But um, And then I went on to study psychology at the University of Stirling in Scotland um, and while I was playing sport and I guess just every time we'd have a case study or something, I'd relate it back to my own experiences. Yeah. And I thought, wow, wouldn't this be amazing if we actually taught this to athletes and they, and they knew how to better look after themselves, empowered them rather than, um, you know, a lot of the time people will try and corner the market and say, all right, you've got to come see me for this. Well, and I'm possibly doing myself out of a bit of work by um, trying to empower people to do it for themselves. But I just feel like if everyone's a bit more resilient, they'll make better choices and um, I guess just be more content in their lives. Mm. 
do you see many other people around like you that, that, that do this, like the physical side plus the mental side? It's getting there now. It is? Um, yeah. It is. Um, not, yeah. I mean, I like to think I'm one of a kind, of course, but um, <laughs> um, I think people are starting to understand mental health, especially in elite sport, um, but it's not just the elite athletes that need that. Mm. Um, I think if you ask people why they work out or why they play sport, you'll get a lot of different answers, but mostly you can, most of the answers you'll be able to sort of pull back to mental health or I want to yeah. feel better at myself or I want to have the confidence I want to have, you know. Um, so it, it is beginning to get there, but I would say most massage therapists will just focus on the physical body and not actually take into account, you know, um, maybe your shoulders are tight because you're really stressed at work and you're sitting like this the whole time. Yeah. Or um, maybe you're getting that pain in your chest because you're feeling anxious about something that's coming up. And um, I just, it's not always the case. Sometimes it could just be the posture or whatever, yeah. but I just don't think it should be overlooked. You know, you're, as I always say, you take your whole self to work. You take your whole self to the gym. You can't leave your mental state at home. And so everything, you know, my, my blog's all about mind-body connectedness and, and understanding yourself and, oh, why do I feel that way? And, and I guess figuring it out. And it, a lot of the time they are linked. Yeah. And I think it's it's important not to overlook it. Have you figured yourself out? <laughs> I, I don't think you'll ever truly figure yourself out. And, that's, what um, I, that's what I think. Yeah. Um, I, I think I have a very strong sense of mind-body connectedness and I'm yep. really good at looking inward. And But then again, it's really easy to get caught up in the day-to-day -day and get too busy and forget to do your mindfulness practice. And then you think, why am I feeling like this? Oh, it's because I've been going 100 miles an hour for the last week. I just need to chill out. Yep. Um, but I, I think what I do have is the know-how to chill out. Whereas yeah. some people go, I need to do something, but they don't know how to do it. Whereas you get a couple of quick tools. Um, like for example, square breathing is, is one that I use. Four, four. Four, four, yeah. yeah. Um, I use all the time at work. If I'm having a stressful day at work, I just stop, breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four, hold for four. So you draw a square with your breath, do that four times. And I know it sounds silly, but just getting that oxygen and resetting, and you're like, okay, I can handle this. Because sometimes you just, your shoulders go up, your breathing shallows, your heart rate goes up, and you just need to reset and go, all right, bite-sized pieces, one thing at a time. That's, that's something that's so um, accessible and easy to do. And personal practice, it just works. Yeah. It really does. Tell me about, like, I go mountain biking, right? So I met, if I meditate, okay, I struggle because my mind is always active. Like I say, I, I won't even say I meditate because I try, right? Then probably don't. But if I go mountain biking and you say you exert energy and then you try something, you do like a breathing exercise, why, why is that the most beneficial? Like to me, I come out of that feeling the best that I can ever feel. Why would that be, do you think? So um, you exert energy, then do like a breathing technique and then after that... It's like I'm the freshest person ever. Why would that be? In my opinion, yeah. uh, and I'm sure there's others that would have others, but for me it's because you were in flow. And um, when I talk about in flow, it's when you're doing something that you really love and you genuinely enjoy. So you're in a good place anyway. Yeah. And then so you, you've put yourself in that good place and then you do your breathing. Yeah. Um, so it's going to take you um, to a pretty euphoric place in your mind and, and that's going to make you feel good. So I think... It, 
the answer to that is not because you were exerting yourself, it was because you were doing something that you love and something that makes you feel good and, and that's going to look different to everyone else. Yep. I mean, it could be that, you know, I, I love working because I'm working in an area that I genuinely am passionate about and I love and, and you can see me if I'm... So I've got two jobs. I also work as a project manager and you can tell if I'm not particularly interested in a topic or if it's to do with um, well-being. Yeah. The difference in my... Um, Action, well, not even actions, but I guess the way I look to the to the outside person. The resting. <laughs> so uh, when I'm in flow and I'm just, you know, it's almost unconscious. Um, I'm just going through it because I love it so much. I know what I'm doing. I'm passionate about it. Yep. Um, and that's that's a feel-good thing for me. Um, and not everyone is into meditation. Some people don't like to. Some people feel awkward just sitting still. But my go-to, um, I guess it's a little trick, a little thing for your toolkit, is if you don't know what to do and you don't want to listen to a guided meditation, uh, just do a body scan. And that's that's that helps for, I'll explain in a sec, that, that sort of helps for physical um, benefits as well. Um, you just basically imagine that you're scanning your whole body from the top of your head all the way down to your feet to just move slowly and just as sort of like the scan goes down, you just release any tension that you have because a lot of the time we're holding tension we don't even realise. Yeah. I, I did a story a couple of weeks ago and I was like, okay, one, put your shoulders down, two, release your jaw. And the amount of people that replied is that, how did you know, you witch? Yeah, it's <laughs> bad. Said, yeah. Like, it's so bad. You're, like you're sitting here talking about things and I'm sitting here and my shoulders are like this, right? <laughs> it's just how I sit and it's because I'm a, I'm a really tense person. Right? Yeah. So I'm sitting here and I'm like, you're talking about this stuff and I'm locked up. Jaws tight, and it's exactly what you say in your things. So it makes sense. So this would benefit you as well that yeah. maybe um, after you've had a guest come in and you've just got 10 minutes to reset, just do a body scan. All right, am I holding tension in my jaw? Release it. Yeah. Am I holding tension in my neck and shoulders? Release it. And a lot of the time you don't even realize what you're doing. You're like, yeah. oh, hang on a second. Yeah, that's cool. I feel better now. And that could be a really quick exercise, which will give physical and mental benefits because you're like, okay, yeah, I'm more relaxed now physically and mentally. Makes sense. Yeah. Tell me about mindfulness. So that that's a, so the that's body a scan is a mindfulness technique. technique. Yep. Um, but just mindfulness is staying present in the moment. Um, so there's lots of different types of meditation. Um, some will try and like whisk you away somewhere in your mind, and I'm, I don't really subscribe to that. I subscribe mm-hmm. to being mindful, being. Um, I guess, focused on, on where you are in the present. Um, and that'll help you with so many different aspects of your life. It could be focus. So yep. if you're mindful on what you're doing, you're less likely to make mistakes. You're less likely to have a car accident. Um, you, it can help you lose weight. They talk about mindful eating rather than um, just eating at your computer when if you're working at a desk and just yep. eating your lunch. Actually, if you just go and sit outside and actually savour what you're eating, uh, one, it'd be a far nicer lunch experience. You should appreciate it. Exactly. Yep. And two, you're less likely to overeat. Mm. Um, so it's just um, – but mindfulness is also used to treat things like depression and anxiety because it's a bit of grounding. Um, so there's a little exercise you can use, which is um, you name five things that you can see, four things that you can hear, three things that you can smell, two things that you can touch, and that's just grounding. So it's just bringing you back to where you are because sometimes I think we can get swept away yep. in the in the busy day-to-day. And, again, all these sort of things are associated with um, your dopamine, your serotonin, um, and – a reduction in cortisol levels, which is your stress hormone stress. and adrenaline, yeah. Have you done hypnotherapy before? I haven't, but I'd be, I'd be interested. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what your um, your perspective – I have. Oh, have you? Yeah. yeah Tell me about your experience. Um, I don't know if it works, but it may work. Okay. And this, I think this is sort of like a lot of things. So for me, um, I went in and, yeah, like went into – I've done a couple of different experiences now. But I went into someone that was like highly, highly recommended in Brisbane, 
And um, I just had a situation coming up that I was probably doing everything I possibly could to look to avoid, but it was going to be beneficial to do. It was, tra- it was travel involved, work, travel involved. And I thought, oh, I might try this because it, in the past it was never an issue. So I went, went in and did hypnosis and I ended up doing the thing that I needed to do. Um, after a few sessions, I ended up doing the travel, did the work. It was great. Like it was really good. I think it was beneficial. Was it? Maybe not. But it gives you technique. It go, Same sort of deal. It gave me techniques to, I don't know, to feel like not everything's okay, but everything, this is, this is the way you think the path should be. Mm. I think that was the big thing. And it was very basic, like not that I didn't remember it, but it was very, very basic. It, it wasn't hard. It wasn't difficult. But for me, I, I definitely think it worked. Okay, cool. It was weird, really strange. No, I'd never done something like same sort of what you're saying about. It's a bit hippie. Yeah. Thought it was a bit, but at the same time, I'll, I'll do it again if the, if I needed to. You know, I definitely wouldn't uh, shy away from it. And that's the thing. I think if people are more open yep. to different experiences, especially with their mental health, because uh, I think people are very quick to be like, oh, I guess obviously there's still a, a stigma and taboo around um, per mental health. But if it's we're getting there now, if people are more open to trying different things, you'll think yep. we'll find that something that will work for you. And, and, and hypnotherapy, not that it's at all my expertise, I feel like it's sort of um, the opposite of what my focus is on, whereas hypnotherapy, I guess, is um, trying to get into your um, subconscious yes. and, and explore that, which is very important that, you know, sort of linked to psychotherapy. But um, as an athlete, I'm trying to um, increase a person's control and power and resilience, which on a very conscious level. So it's getting people to, to face things head on. Um, and, and it's very hard and it sometimes takes a long time and a lot of practice and it's not progress is not linear. Sometimes it goes like this um, up and down. And I guess it's the first step is always learn who you are and go from there. And when I say learn who you are, that's like what makes you happy, what makes you sad, what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, what are your core values? Because happiness comes from when you're everything that's happening inwardly, so everything you deem important, everything that's important to you, your core values um, and things that you enjoy – actually matches what you're putting out there externally. So it actually matches your behaviours, your actions, what you're doing for work, yeah. your spoken word. If that's all in harmony and you're being authentic, authentically yourself, yeah. that's when you're happiest and that's when you're resilient because you know you're 100% you and you're not going to get caught out um, and there's no conflict between the you that you have to be on the outside your message. and yep. inside. And I know that that's something I've been preaching for a little while and I had to eat a bit of humble pie. I went to um, a conference recently and it was um, because I also work in healthcare and it was a multicultural forum and someone said, it's hard to be your authentic self when you come from a different culture or a different background and there's certain things that are expected of you um, and they may not marry up with how you feel on the inside. It's a tough statement. Yeah. So this is my current sort of dilemma because I've always 100% believed, been passionate about being your authentic self and pushing it out there. I'm like, well, that's great being, you know, a middle-class white girl in a Western country. Um, But it's really forced me to see it from other people's perspectives, from different cultural backgrounds. And I've been speaking with different friends from um, from different countries and cultures and trying to get a different perspective on it because this is really challenging for me. So how do you change your perspective? Because that's your core belief. Yes. So how do you change it? It is my core belief, but my other core beliefs is also um, being empathetic and putting yourself in other people's shoes. So I think being open-minded and, and learning about other cultures and other and other people, 
will only ultimately help my business um, and I guess help me grow as a person and you know if you understand people from where they're coming from and not just from my perspective and my background which is very vanilla compared to a lot of people um it is challenging and i and i think we'll we'll begin to evolve um as second and third generations but then why should we because it's a different culture just because it's this is our beliefs doesn't mean it's the only belief so i don't know it's just I guess maybe looking for alternative ways to be um, content and yeah. strong mentally that might not necessarily align with what works for me. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And what what I what I do appreciate and what I try and preach as well. I don't have a I don't have a rigid opinion. I have I have common beliefs in things, and what what I feel is correct. But at the same time, I, I try not to. I really try not to be. Um, just shut, if that makes sense. Like if someone does have a different, uh, it's a different culture. Like uh, no matter what it is, like if even go back to like the things I do, cars and bikes and stuff, everyone has like a different culture within their cultures. Somebody said to me something about even just a vehicle thing. A lot of people, especially traditionally in the past, would just shut it down. Oh, you're a, you're a wanker, whatever. But you've got to try and I think keep your, and this is just putting it back to something that I'm very familiar with. Um, you've got to keep it open. Because if you don't have your if, – if if everything's just closed off, you're never going to grow. And, look, if everyone had that point of view, I think the world would be a much better place, um, not being closed off, being yep. open to other people's um, beliefs, yep. um, to the an understanding to where they're coming from and their reasons for their beliefs um, and their culture and, and um, their background. And I think if we just sort of said, oh, why is that? And then there was a justification for it, you go, hmm, okay, yeah, sure. It doesn't mean you have to – follow it yep. but if you can understand where someone else is coming from I just yeah yeah, the world would be a much better place at least have the conversation yeah. like open it up tell me about um, your time at Samoa with Rugby League you obviously got to go to Samoa I did as well tell, tell me tell me about that oh I love special. I love being part of Samoa Queensland yep. um, RLSQ um, as I say I started off as a level one sports trainer back in twenty. 15, I think, was my first year with them. And that was the year we went to Samoa for the first time. Wow. Uh, went on tour with them. We did we did a few days in Savai'i out in the island, which was basically a hut on the beach. It was like paradise. Wow. <laughs> and, then, and then a couple of days in the city as well. Um, yeah, just incredible. They've kind of become my adopted family. Um, I guess, like, you know, I don't have any family here. It's my husband's family. and So you got no... You came over, no other family at all? No. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, at the time I thought, it's the small, world's a small place. If I want to go home, I just hop on a, on a plane. But How look, things oh, change. Yeah, right? <laughs> but, um, but no, 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 like it, no regrets. I love living here and, um, yeah, um, the last day was amazing. But um, I guess coming from Scotland where we do have a lot of rich traditions and heritage and yep. um, culture and then coming to Australia where unless you're um, indigenous there isn't an awful lot of um, culture heritage and I don't know it's hard to pinpoint what it was but just I loved being engulfed in the Samoan culture and, and them involving me um, yep. in you know the different ceremonies and the different you know wearing their 
traditional dress and um, going to these fear fear nights and um, and even seeing you know the Civitao and and all these different war dances. I just I just love it I, and yeah. I love engulfing myself in their culture and and they're just such open, beautiful, lovely people and um, you know they're still my closest friends um, wow. now. But uh, yeah, the tour over there was incredible. Uh, we, we played um, the Samoa residents and um, but really what I remember from that tour was just sort of taking in the culture and meeting the locals and you know they have nothing but they give everything yeah um you know it's a third world country um but they're so proud of their sport they love their sport over there that they'd come around and they'd give us you know the coconuts and bananas and a pig and we'd have a feast and you know they're just such beautiful people i loved it would have been awesome and obviously to continue involvement to now yeah that's pretty special well then from then so just being sort of a, a humble sports trainer with Samoa Queensland. I was then, um, I've been selected to be on the coaching staff for the national teams as well. So I was part of the staff for uh, the Commonwealth Games um, rugby Damn. league. So I was with Samoa uh, for that as well. That was held in Redcliffe. Yeah. Um, so it was like the legacy games, I think we called it. And um, I believe we got a medal, we got a bronze medal. Um, so that was really cool. I got to work with some of the greats like uh, Frank Pritchard and things like that as well. Yeah. And then from there, I also got selected to be the head trainer for the Fetu Samoa, that's the women's team, and the Toa Samoa um, South Pacific Cup squad. So we went to Apia Samoa again uh, two years ago. Um, it was around about this time two years ago. Yeah. Uh, that was that was another incredible experience, um, getting them ready for the South Pacific Cup campaign sorry south pacific games campaign um yeah that's so unreal i've had some oh, some incredible experiences and then and a couple of years ago the world cup went up to cairns and we got to meet you know josh Papali and, and all these yep. people it's just yeah insane their um their strength has grown hey like as, as in as in competition strength very very strong rugby league team it's pretty good hey there's a yeah there's a little bit of controversy around the... Um, the coaching? <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> we, we might not touch that because I've got a lot. <laughs> nah, please don't. But, yeah, there is actually a... <laughs> yes, but um, but as you say, yeah, and, and I think it's great that um, there are so many players like um, Brian To'o and, and yeah. Jerome Lewis who actually want to play for their team and their culture and they say, you know, things like it hits different when you play for your own country and I just, I love that. I'm here for it and I, and I hope that more Pacific players will sure. start to do that and grow the game in their own countries. I, I think so. And I just, I, I see it coming into a really golden time because our, our competition is so, like it's so spread now, like it's so wide of all the different cultures that are in it. And the best players are from the Pacific, the Pacific nation. There's so many incredible Polynesian yeah. athletes in, in the NRL. And can you imagine if they actually play for their own ass? It'd be huge. Yeah. Incredible, know. and then there'll be you know more competition, which Definitely. is good. We we Great need game. more competition, and yeah, the, that coaching thing. I'm like, uh, probably not even going to bring that up. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting, and yeah, it's like everything. There's there's multiple sides to every story. Not every story, but every every idea, I guess. Hey? Yeah, leave that there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's. Psychology. Did you think coming from obviously where you, where you came from to where it is now? Do you think it's changed much in sport? I think people are beginning to really value it now. Okay. I yep. think it's always been there and the UK have actually been really good at capitalising on sports psychology for quite yep. a long time. Australia seemed to be 
trailing behind a little bit. Good on you, Australia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, I mean, not just in sport, in the workplace as well. Like I specialise in behavioural economics um, in my project management role. And even What's then, that? Um, so basically behavioural economics is um, – or behavioral insights is is sort of the psychology of decision making, and um, it's used yeah. a lot in marketing. So, what nudges can you pl- put in place? I don't know if you've heard of nudge theory, um, nudge someone in the right direction to make a decision by how you f- um, how you offer them the um, the option. So, yeah. it's at a point of decision. So, if something's framed in a certain way, so for example, ninety percent fat free sounds a lot better than ten percent fat. Yeah. So all these, so it's how you frame something, how you deliver a message. Um, someone's more likely to actually do something if the messenger is someone that they respect or um, a person of authority. So it's all psych- the psychology of decision making and getting people to embed whatever ways of working you want. Oh, that's tricky. Yeah. So people are starting to use it. As I say, the UK have been using it for years, especially in policy making and government and. Yep. Australia are a little bit behind, especially Queensland. In fact, um, New South Wales are starting to get there. They've got a behavioural insights unit now. In, in, we only um, just got power up here. <laughs> it's a bit like that. Hey, yeah. the internet here is terrible. I couldn't believe that when I moved here. I was like, is this a first world country or what? <laughs> I know. You're like some of the things you – yeah. Oh, it's, a, it's a great place. But, yeah, you just shake your head sometimes. But in terms of um, <clears throat> psychology and sport, I think people are, are starting to get there. Yeah. Um, it's not quite quite there in Queensland yet, but as I say, people are starting to see the value in it and um, it's STEM. I guess how do you leverage off um, what people really care about to get to get them to think about it? And yeah. if you look, this I guess it's a bit of a dining down moment, but you have to look at the suicide rates in our communities, especially in our Polynesian and Indigenous communities. Um, young athletes who um, you know they've got all this ahead of them and and they feel that the only way well. They have no way out and, mm. and the only way to, to go forward is to take their own lives. And, you know, is that a cultural thing? Probably. Um, is there something more we can do about it? Definitely. And I think people are, are starting to have those conversations. There's some amazing um, organisations and amazing ambassadors within this, within sport that are starting to say, you know, checking your mates and the, the living um, charity and, yep. you know, they do heaps of stuff, eight weeks to speak. And people are starting to say it but... I guess if people would actually fully understand it and rather than just saying, are you okay, is actually following it up with what to say if people say no, mm. uh, empowering or I guess educating themselves on what they can say. And um, I think that that's that's where I see the leverage being because people are starting to care about Well, not starting to care about that. People are starting to talk about it. Yeah. Um, so if you can say, all right, well, can you imagine if you didn't need to do that because we're we're going to go the other way and we're going to um, work towards good mental health rather than just prevent bad mental health? Yep. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Like it, it really does. Like it's, uh, yeah, like don't get to dire straits before you have to really talk to somebody or whatever it may be. With all that, do you see sometimes um, – Actually, like living, one of their things, they do do like a conversation workshops, don't they? Um, They've also got a, a very good blog. Do they? Yes. So they do like the workshop where you can um, – how to have a conversation to somebody. That's correct on – I haven't um, heard I that think. one but they do They do a lot of yep. work. So I think that's a good starting point for anyone that wants to learn more about um, with, you know, having those conversations and, yep. and what to say. Definitely. Yeah, tough, tough, tough conversations in those sorts of situations. And it's uncomfortable, but just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean we don't do it. It probably means that we have to have those conversations more and get it out in the open and then move forward from there. Do you see brands, probably 
companies, people are disingenuous with it. Oh, 100% because it's fashionable at the moment, isn't it? Correct. So, um, which is, I know that's a thing, it's a real weird thing to say, but sometimes you see it and you're like, that's so disingenuous. You know, you don't care. And you think, what? Not why, I can see why they're doing it. But, you know, if someone genuinely cares, it's a different story, hey? 100%. But look, some brands and companies, look, if they're putting out t shirts that say, you know, um, like have slogans on it or whatever, it might be disingenuous to them, but the person wearing it might. You know, it might benefit. Exactly, yeah. or the person seeing someone wearing it. Yeah. So, yeah, you just got to sometimes look at the positives. <laughs> yeah, filter through, filter through the, the nonsense and yeah. look at the positive side of it. Yeah. Dealing with injuries. Mm. How, how do you get people to cope for dealing through injuries? And yourself, you've obviously um, had injuries. How do you deal with injuries? Um, so this is, this is the problem because I think um, – depending on what sport you're from and depending on what your background is, a lot of the time you're told just to um, harden up and deal with it. Yep. Um, and I've seen so many young athletes throw away a very promising potential career because they haven't dealt with what could have been a really minor injury. I think they've played on with a hamstring strain and they've torn it and then, you know, yeah. things yep. like that. Or um, they haven't done their rehab for an ACL and they just end up doing their knee every single game and, um, so education at, at the first instance, but, um, and I guess a lot of people, it's hard because um, when, I, when you ask that question, I think of so many different, of my, so many different clients in my head. Like scenarios. Yeah. Cause yeah. everyone's different. Some people, you know, it's just, oh, no, it should be all right. It'll be fine. I don't need to do it. such an Aussie expression. She'll be right. Like, but will she though? <laughs> or are you going to continue playing on her and no, then you make tear. it worse? Yeah. 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 Um, but then there's some people who are almost hypochondriacs and you're like, come on, mate, you know, you'll yeah. be fine. Just, be just, right. do, <laughs> just do your exercises, yeah. just use pain as your um, indicator. And, and then you've got everyone in the middle um, and you've got very varying levels of health literacy. I think sometimes when you yourself understand a lot, you forget that a lot of people don't um and some people might panic or some people might undersell their injuries so i guess it's um for me um in particular it's knowing your clients and knowing your players and um knowing that okay that person's a bit of a sook that person will not tell me if they're injured so you've got to look (laughs) for different things and ask the, the the questions and just i guess um probe for the answers that you need and just say, no, it's all good. Like it, it might not be as bad as you think. We just need to go through the processes and um, just to make sure that you know, we're only in run six. You've got the rest of the season to go. Would you rather miss one game or, you know, the rest of the season um, and things like that. So that's how I deal with it. But I, and people take it differently. Some people are really switched on and they're strong and they're resilient and they say, that's all right. I'll take the, I'll sit out for the next three weeks. I'll do my rehab. Uh, I'll come back stronger or they'll have goals in mind. And I find generally women are better at that. They're mm-hmm. a lot more um, stronger mentally. Um, I had a client last night who I haven't seen for a year and she's just come, she's just, uh, she had a baby four months ago and um, she's back playing sport now, um, wow. full contact union. And I said, so what's your goal? She's like NRLW next year. Whereas, um, and I was like, hell yeah, like let's, let's do, do it. it. Yeah. Um, but with some of my men, I feel like their heads go down really quickly and they think, oh, I'm never going to play again. I'm too old for this. And I hate it when they say I'm too old for this. I'm like, bro, you're 26. Like, shut up. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and also if you look at some of the people still playing in the NRL who are in their late 30s now. Yeah. You know, age is just a number. If you look after your body, you can play as long as you want. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, I guess it's hard. I'm not really giving a straight answer because everyone's different and I'm like that. You know, it's a case-by-case basis and, and, and I do have really um, close relationships with, with all my clients because everyone's individual and you yep. need to know individually what works for them and what makes them t- tick and how do I, how do you speak to this person over this person? Because some people need a cuddle and some people need to, to get told to harden the up. <laughs> yeah, just get happening. <laughs> yeah. Is there a psychological reason why um, males and females are different in that regard? Oh, are we going to go down that route? <laughs> yeah. But is there, is there something like that you have learned? Like obviously there's things like um, chemical levels and within brains and that that you can have different responses to. Oh, but I'm is not... there is there a reason why? Um, why? 100% there's going to be biological factors. But yep. uh, in my opinion, a lot of it is social learning theory or, or social factors that we've kind of become um, – conditioned to believe um, since a young age. And I think the women generally, and I'm probably going to get backlash for this, have more to overcome than men, Um, especially in the sports that I work in because they're male-dominated sports. Uh, And so the female athletes in rugby union, rugby league and boxing, um, powerlifting and bodybuilding, they're my main sports. There's some hardcore sports. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They're my main sports and and I've got male and female athletes in all of them. you know, women have to work twice as hard to get half the recognition. So I think they're sort of maybe used to um, the adversity and having to work rather than sailing on talent, which is what a lot of my male... um, Obviously, that's generalising a lot and I've got a lot of male athletes who have gone through a lot and... Work really hard and all... Yeah, yeah. and maybe come from disadvantaged backgrounds and they've had to work to get over that. But generally, as a statement, um, women are used to having to overcome a lot more especially if they want to have a job and they want to have a family and they want to play elite sport. It's like literally it was it was an open question to – I wasn't sure like if there was an answer, but I think that provides – Oh, look, that's my something. opinion, but I'm a yeah. raging feminist, so. <laughs> <laughs> At least you've said it. <laughs> Justice Hooney, heavyweight champion. Mm. What would you say to him in his current st- – not current state, but fantastic boxer, up-and-coming boxer – has has a dream that has sort of been taken away for the current time. What would you say as a, as a psychologist? That's really interesting. Um, it's a really interesting question. Um, just quickly, I'm not a psychologist, I'm a mindset coach, so I've got a degree in psychology, but I haven't done all the, the extra schooling to get that title. But um, mm-hmm. for justice, I, um, I really feel for him because I can see how hard he works and how long he's worked for. But this is what I was talking about earlier with identity. Um, you know, he's been this golden child protege for so long you know the end goal being the olympics and you're going to be the first this the first that and blah, blah, blah. and there's so much pressure put on him for this yep. um so i don't know him personally but i hate to think that maybe what the backlash with this of this would be it's not just pulling out of a fight it's pulling out of a, a dream or mm. a goal that everyone else has had for him for so long um and i think what I would like to say to him would be to remember who you are, what you bring in and the value that you have outside of the Olympics. You know, the Olympics is not your life and, and you will be a star. You are a star at such a sure. young age. I actually saw his um, his professional debut. Uh, I was there in October and I, I just remember being like, wow, this kid is going places and it, he just brings so much more to the table than a gold medal. Mm. Um, I, and I think we... We just we do this to ourselves. We put so much pressure on for a certain goal, and if we don't get that, we're a failure. Makes nah. serious sense, doesn't it? Yeah. It, is he somebody like when you were there, 
uh, from from TV and watching him train and watching him on the on the fights has like a bit of an aura even at his young age. Is it like that when you've seen him? Like I, he just sort of has something. I don't know. There's something really special about like the guy. a champion. Yeah. sort of. Um, you can just see it. Yeah, he's only really young and everything, but you just see it already. You're like, wow, that he carries something different. One hundred percent. And I think one of the things that makes me think that is that he's so humble. Mm. Um, you know, he doesn't really subscribe to the the trash talk that kind of comes with his sport. I mean, some people in his team might do so, but I remember the first time I heard him speak was after um, he won his professional debut and he won the heavyweight title and I can't remember the exact question the um the commentator asked him but it was it was quite you know leading to to let him talk trash about his opponent and he said um he was basically asked oh how easy was that and he went oh hey look we we got the w that's what that's what matters that's what we came for and I was like "Mm, yeah he's cool Uh, you know he's humble in victory um he's not done playing it he's just he doesn't yeah. feel the need to put someone else down because he's done well. Just great. Yeah. Like that's so nice to see, especially in a sport that has so much, oh, the emotion that they must run through prior and post um, to be able to speak so consciously. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And I understand that trash talk is part of boxing, like yeah. it's part of the culture, but I think respect should sort of supersede that and he has he has respect and um, – for that, he has my respect. I, I, I've literally that night I went home and I followed all his media, social media accounts and, and I follow his journey and I just think, yeah, he's an incredible athlete and he's going places and, and you know, sure. if he if he doesn't due to whatever reason, there's more to him than just being a boxer and, for sure. and I think he just needs to remember that, that he's well loved. For sure. That's, and I think that's good advice because, yeah, he, the, it would feel like the world's taken from him currently, I'm sure, like there'd be so much so much emotion around like, you know, you like, like any athlete that saves for the Olympic Games, there's only a small portion of your life you get the chance to do it. And to, to get it taken, you're like, oh, no. But there's so much other stuff out there. And it's there. not just for himself as well. I believe that was the dream of a lot of people around him mm. and a lot of people were sort of counting on him. Um, like, and, I, and I don't mean that to sound negative because I know these people have um, had like sacrificed a lot to yes. support his career. But I know as an, as an athlete, you, a lot of the time you feel like you've let other people down. For sure. And not just yourself. Like maybe if it was yourself, you could get over it. But, you know, um, if you let other people down, it hits different. Let's skip away from that. Dealing with um, 16, 20, 25 even, like year old athletes, do you see it? You, uh, some people are living other people's dreams. And how do you deal with that? Um, do you mean... Um, families, like, do you, do you see that much? I do. Um, how, do, how, how, do how, does, how does one cope with that? You know, we pull kids off because they look like they're a little bit sore and we're like, oh, we'll just rest them next week. And um, and the players are going, oh, the, sorry, the parents are coming over going, why isn't my kid playing? Oh, he's hurt himself. Oh, you get back on there. You're not, you're not hurt. You know, yeah. and that's really hard um, because you're like, you're trying to promote this whole Player welfare is the most important thing, player safety. Um, and then I, I get it. The parents, you know, they, they sacrifice time and money and they want you to succeed. But if they don't come from a sporting background themselves, they maybe don't understand the toll on the body and the mind and, and that actually rest is just as important as training. 
Um, I don't know. It's it is hard. I know what you mean. You know, living some. You know, you want to live through someone. Yes. But that shouldn't come at the cost of the person's well-being, physically or mentally. Definitely. It's really controversial, I guess. Yeah, it is. But and and I'm sure I'm sure you see it. You know, and there is a couple examples of it. It's just so difficult because that is a generational thing that just doesn't seem to change either. You know, mm. like when I was a kid, I could see probably wasn't conscious to it but you could see some of the kids that were playing football and that we felt like they live in someone's dream mm. not their own what they even want to do same with motorcycling for some people as well you know actually that's true yeah you know you play it because you've always played it because your mum and dad played it because yeah. your big brother plays it yeah tell me about the benefits of exercise oh wow uh okay so obviously We've got all the physiological benefits that I feel like I don't need to go into. There's, you know, yep. people should be health literate enough to know that exercise is good for you. Well, you'd hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in terms of um, the psychological, the psychosocial benefits, um, as well as sort of the increased serotonin and dopamine and all that, actually, w- if we focus on sort of team sports or working out with other people, yeah. being part of belonging to a community um, is incredible. That support and um, identity and, um, you know, on top of all the physiological factors of, of exercise, I just think it's incredible um, from, from my own experience and also seeing other people. And, and, I, and I know myself if I miss gym, so I, I, I like to um, do powerlifting. And, it, and if I miss a couple of days at gym because work's being crazy, I can feel myself like going down. Yeah. I'm like, I need to go to the gym. I need, you know, my therapy. Um, and that's what I call it all the time. I was like, yeah, gym's my therapy. I don't compete. I do it because it's for me. It's fun and it makes me feel good. Yeah. Um, but as well as that's the reason I went back to, and played league that season is because I missed the culture of being part of a club. And I've heard so many people say that um, one of the boys at the club that I'm working at at the moment said he, he came back because he, he missed just being around the boys, you know, and, and being having that change of scenery, running around in the fresh air um, with people who have, you know, similar interests, it's therapy. Plus that, um, not aggression, aggression is probably the wrong word, but getting, exerting something out of your body, like tackling, running, there's got to be something about that too, isn't there? Yeah, so we talk about like channeling the aggression right. and, um, you know, a lot of, uh, I, know, I know of so many kids that have gone into um contact sports um to basically deal with their aggression you know if kids get in trouble at school or whatever or they're yep. in this system like get them in a boxing ring and teach them um discipline yeah but you can still hit someone as hard as you want just within these parameters and it's and it's great you know it really develops them as a person it gets the uh, as you say like gets the energy out in a in a good way and then they get the, the feel-good benefits of actually being part of a club and doing something good. Something they actually want to do. Yeah. Concussion, huge thing in sport. Obviously mm. something you're very passionate about. Yeah. How do you, how do you change the, the path of concussions? Mm. Care, obviously, is a huge part. Yeah. So concussion is, um, I guess it's a buzzword at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> Because the NRL have just gone cray-cray on it. Um, cray. c- concussion is something I've been talking about for a, a long time because yep. I've suffered several myself um the possibly when i suffered them there wasn't as much known about them certainly not at my level of sport um did you know about them at the time yourself i knew i had a concussion because the the doctor told me so but yeah i didn't really have the same have the um 
I guess I didn't fully understand what that meant. So I didn't know what the the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the connotations of having a concussion. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I've hit my head a bit too hard. I feel a little sick for a few days and then I'll be all right. I didn't realize how serious it was mm. um, to the point now where I still, you know, um, I've been told that, you know, this is a good chance I'll have early onset dementia and, and things like that. And, and now that we're starting to see the long, you know, the longevity studies of um, um, NFL players with concussion. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, they're starting to have personality disorders or neurological disorders later in life years after they've retired you know it's it is serious and I think people are starting to realize that now but and I and I'm really grateful to the NRL for bringing attention to it but I think the way that they've done it is almost made people go the other way because they've just gone down oh yeah any hit over the shoulders you know as a simbin or as a sending off yep. or whatever like it's just mm, magic round was just a joke um look at Victor Adley yeah. Magic round, God damn it. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, and as I say, like, I'm really glad that they're bringing attention to it, um, but it needs to be delivered in a way that people understand the importance of it because um, I've got a few players that, you know, it largely, depend, it largely depends on the player being honest. It relies on the player being honest about their symptoms because you can't always see mm. when someone has concussion. Okay, if they've been knocked out and then they're stumbling around the field, okay. But there's there's been times where um, I've had concussion and no one could tell. Um, so it could just be that I had a banging headache, that my eyes were feeling sore, you know, I was a bit dizzy. and Or sometimes the players just say, I don't feel right. And that's why it's so important for the trainers or whoever's looking after the team to really know their players, to know what's right and what's not right and the types of thing they would say or the types of way they would act um, because it is so serious. And people think that by wearing, you know, a head guard or whatever, it's going to stop them from getting concussion, which is not, it's not, you know, that's not the case. I will do absolutely nothing because a concussion is actually the, the brain hitting the wall of the skull inside. So it's the movement rather than... The shock. Yeah. That. So um, I don't know. I think there's still a long way to go in education um, for concussion, uh, but we, we are getting there. Um, I think the new coaches that are coming in, because, um, you know, for a while there, anyone could coach. It could be anyone's dad or anyone's auntie or, you know, you just put, whoever puts up their hand to volunteer to coach could do it, whereas now people are actually having to go through um, the different accreditation processes and people are getting strict about that. And so we're getting yeah. people who are more informed and more educated about things like concussion, and so they will take it a bit more seriously. But... Um, until then, I'll keep advocating that if someone gets a head knock, you sit out until you're better. Yeah, time because it is time. Hey, the longer time you can give between that next head knock, yeah, it's going to benefit you massively, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. if you have two head knocks in a week, for instance, they that it's the like there's a bell curve, and you can see the actual rate of um, damage increases so much in succession secondary. weeks, sort of yep. thing. Secondary hit, so yeah, um, yeah it's scary. Yeah. And if people realise that, they might be like, okay, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe my health and, and um, my family is a little bit more important than winning this community rugby league Div 2 game. Yeah, yeah that's that's so – yeah. But like like anyone, I was going to mention it about one of the points we are talking about before is um, when you're doing it, you, you are, you're a Darren Lockyer or you're you – it know, doesn't matter if you're the first – Okay, first time you've played football, you think you're that you're the athlete, and that's that's really cool. That's how you should think, but um, you still got to put it in perspective sometimes. A hundred percent, and and I like that people think that way, and, and I think you should think that way. If you're going to play sure. sport, you yeah. do it. You know, you don't leave anything off. You tell um, your friends that you play 
football or whatever it may be, soccer or whatever, um, don't you? Like you want to be proud of doing it. Yeah, whatever whatever division, whatever sport you're playing, you, you play to the best of your ability. I, yeah. I 100% um, believe that. Otherwise, what's the point? Yep. But I'm incredibly competitive, so that's just me. Um, but yes, I, I just think that regardless of what level, even if you are Darren Lockyer back in 2010 at the top of your game, regardless of what level you are, your health always comes first. Definitely. How did you get on? How did you meet with uh, Shannon? Shannon O'Connell. Where did oh, that, how did that Shannon. come about? I love Shannon. Um, so I met Shannon through um, through her ex, actually. So um, and you know, I think I treated her once or twice just as a random appointment and then we sort of just really clicked and we, we yep. got along really well and she's really open and um, she's happy to share her sort of insights to sport and I just find that so interesting. Definitely. Um, that, you know, I, I treat her every week now and we've become really good friends as, as well as having that sort of um, client-therapist relationship and she she tells me, you know, her... I guess her thought process and how she prepares for a fight and how she feels throughout camp, whether it's positive or negative and how she goes up and down. And I just think she's incredible. And um, I actually didn't know her backstory until I listened to the ah. podcast with you. So I remember I listened to that and I texted her. I was like, what? Um, I was like, you're incredible. Like what, you, what you've been through, what you've accomplished. And, and you know, she's 38 now and she's the fittest she's ever been and she's, she's beating 20-something-year-olds. And I just think... Um, yeah, she's an incredible athlete and um, a real inspiration to me. Yeah, definitely. And she's just got her motivation is just so out of this world. She's got champion mindset. She just wants yeah. to win over anything else. And it's so good to see. Like you don't see it so often. Oh, you're getting there now. But in female athletes, you don't quite always see the same aggression as you do in male athletes. But oh, Shannon's got it and it's um, it's incredible. It's so cool to like – You've been fortunate enough to go to her fights. Yeah. I, I've, I've been to her training sessions and stuff. And you're just watching. You're like, wow, this is unreal. Like it's um, – you're watching something else, you know. Like you, you can go to a, no, a local sparring session and see people spar and stuff. Then you see someone like Shannon and then she comes off and she's the nicest – I don't know. She's, she's the coolest person. She's cool. And uh, – yeah, she's got a fight coming up pretty soon, hopefully, which will be um, pretty cool. So she's back in camp, I believe. So She is in camp, yeah. Um, we went down to Bendigo in March uh, where she fought um, Shanika Johnson on the Mundine Zarafa card. Yep. Uh, it was the fight of the night, as I'm sure, most For sure. anyone that watched it <laughs> would be able to tell you. It was incredible. Like yep. Women's boxing really was put on show that night. The two of them are incredible. But I believe she's in camp now and she's um, she's ready to fight. Whoever she's fight, she's, she's, she's ready she's for ready it. To go. She'll fight anyone. <laughs> anywhere yep. anytime she's just she's like that and she'll do it for for no money she just um as i say she is a champion and and um she loves what she does and she's always ready to go and she's one of those athletes who it's a hundred percent on nothing you know um yep. there's no point half-assing it she's just yeah she's great and she puts everything into her camp and um yeah she's great both ways you both must appreciate each other you must appreciate her because she what, what she puts in and what she gets out but at the same time, you're educating her with some certain things as well. That must be a pretty cool feeling for you. Yeah, like educating Shannon is um, no easy feat because she knows everything. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I like to think that she does yeah. listen to me, um, that she respects um, my, I guess, what I do and what um, I believe in. Um, she's 
great at the physical side of things and um, you'll see her roll her eyes when I tell her to do recovery, but she's slowly getting there. She did have an ice bath the other day, so I was like, good job. There's a win. <laughs> <laughs> and she comes to see me every week for uh, remedial massage therapy um, yep. and as I went with her to Bendigo and really, I wasn't really there as her therapist, but more sort of her confidant and, and her companion and um, I'm really grateful for that opportunity because she walked me through every step of, okay, this is what I do the day before a fight, this is what I eat, this is what happens at weigh-in and she was talking me through the process and it was very educational for me um, trying to learn a new sport because obviously I know rugby league, rugby union inside out now. Boxing is, I'm new to boxing last year once once I got Shannon on board and then I got Django and I got a couple other um, sort of amateur boxes um, on my roster now but I have to learn the sport. I need to know what movements and, and also the, the uh, mental side of things. And she's really forthcoming with that information. Although it was educational for me, I, I like to think that that was almost therapeutic for her as well, yeah. art- articulating how she feels, like putting into words what's possibly always just going on in her head before a game um, or before a match, sorry. And, yeah, it was that was an incredible experience. Um, and I came away from that going, I think boxing, as physical and, you know, as fit as you have to be, is 90% mental. For sure. And she, I remember her saying to me something that stuck with me. She's like, in my head, I'm going to war. You know, there's, I'm going in there with someone that wants to kill me. She wants to punch me in the head. She wants to knock me out and I have to do it first. And I was just looking at her and go, wow. Yeah, that's all, that's such a that's such a foreign ter- like, term for us. Like we, we back away from those situations so much. It's just like, but to, to think that's going to happen, how do you deal? I know, right? So it's just, I guess with that, I just say every athlete's different. My relationship with every client is different because obviously I have to capitalize on their individuality rather than push what I think they should do. And Shannon is a seasoned pro. You know, she's um, been around a lot longer than I have and she knows what she's doing and she's won all these fights. So I guess it's just capitalizing on what she has and um, I guess uh, reassuring her um that she's got this you know you've done this so many times you know the process um sometimes it is just a bit of reassurance she knows it and she knows she knows it yeah but sometimes it's just like uh no you're fine um but yeah she's so she's the most dedicated athlete i've ever met in my whole life really really that's cool and she's taught me a lot about myself because she she is um as successful as she is because her personality doesn't take any crap. Um, she can be incredibly stubborn and um, she doesn't, I guess, humour me a lot of the times where a lot of my athletes will. You know, if I say, oh, did you do this for recovery? Make sure you do meditation. She's like, mm, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know? Just straight up. Yeah, which is great. Um, it's really good when you have like a straight up relationship with your clients where you know exactly where you stand and I think that's why we're so close. More beneficial for both parties. Hundred percent. There's no point lying and no saying, fluff. "Oh yeah, sure, I'll do that." <laughs> and just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Are you like, obviously, with everything that you educate, a lot of it's about living in the moment, being in the moment. Are you a goal setter though? Oh, absolutely. What's yeah. your goals? Um, Can oh, you talk of anything? Um, the, um, uh, there's some that are still sort of like uh, un, yep. uh, there's some that I can't talk about, but I do have big goals for Scout Co, um, yep. which is my sports therapy business. Uh, at the moment, currently, it's just a small business. It's, it is my side hustle. I'd still work full time um, as my sort of safety blanket, I guess. Um, but I, I do have sort of an end goal to have a a recovery center and, and be full-time um, in right. that. Um, what that looks like at the moment, I'm really open to. I don't like to set such um, 
you know, concrete goals that I can't be open-minded and flexible to what it is along the way. Yep. Having said that, goal visualization, um, you know, th- th- is really important in that, you know, what does it, what does success look like? What does it feel like? Who is there? Um, what is the process to get there? And I'm very visual in that. Um, although it might change, um, one thing remains the same is that every day I'm working towards that. And I've made so many sacrifices to do that. I mean, I work seven days a week. I went to school three days a week as well as working full time, as well as training, as well as running my small business because I just have this bigger picture goal of um, success. And I, I want to be successful and I want to be successful in a field that I have passion in and that interests me. And I'll get there. I know I'll get there. Sure. I have, you know, I'm I'm good at what I do and what I don't know I'll get better at. And um, I've got great people around me. You got your own champion mindset. Basically, 100%. it's built around like your structure. And and that's like when you ask me, should I prepare for anything? Um, I'm like, nah, just come in and talk because I knew you're passionate about it. I'm like, well, you don't need to... You'll know everything off the top of your head anyway. I'm not going to give you any any armor. So has that been all right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, what I said to you, I was like, should I prepare anything? You said, no, you're fine. I was like, okay, well, I won't. And I yeah. absolutely 100% did not. And I've, um, I thought, I'll wing it. But you're right. I, I know and I love my content yep. that I'll happily talk about it to anyone until the cars come home. And actually what's funny is that did happen recently in that I went to um, a professional development um, event recently. As no shoes. With no shoes. <laughs> I had shoes. Okay. You've seen the post, obviously, that I posted on my Instagram, but um, I went as a participant. Yep. And um, it was to the Australian Institute of Fitness where I was a student. I did my remedial um, course there. And the reason I wasn't wearing any shoes is because we'd just done a really good foam rolling practical session. It was incredible, actually. Anyone that doesn't, I don't, oh, I'll have to try and remember the, the name of the guy that was there, but holy. Like, How can that be good? They're terrible. No, they're so good. If you know how to do it properly, no. honestly, like get on YouTube and learn how to do it properly. I've been foam rolling for 15 years and I, yeah, I got more at that 20 minute session. Anyway, straight after this foam rolling session where I had my, no shoes on, um, <laughs> the facilitator came up and said, oh, would you mind doing a presentation? You know, someone's let me down and, and they're not able to get in. I said, sure. I was like, well, what would you like me to present on? He went, yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so I went through my emails and I found one of my workshops that I'd done fairly recently on champion mindset. Yep. Um, and I emailed it to him and I stood up and I and I talked about um, motivation, resilience and gratitude and the importance of it, um, not just for athletes, but for therapists as well. Like if you're working with these people, you need to know your stuff and you also need to know yourself and look after yourself to be able to give the best version of you. Mm. You don't want to get into... I guess a lot of therapists go into the business with all this passion and then as these sort of years go on, they lose it and just go through the motions. Um, I think if you know yourself and and what makes you tick and and how you can, I guess, keep your motivation alive, you're going to provide the best service, you know, day in, day out, and you're also going to get more out of it yourself. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the the cup, pouring cup um, theory, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. Yes. Um, And that's... That's about self-care as well, but I think that can be done professionally as well. The more you have, the more you can give. So you cannot rely on anyone else to fill your cup for you. So the way you do that is knowing your motivation, knowing your why, and then capitalizing on that, Um, doing your professional development and speaking to people about what you believe in and going to all these events. And, you know, I'm definitely an extrovert. I get my energy from external um, situations and things like this, talking about yep. things I believe in, going to the boxing, going to the footy, talking to my athletes about um, things that I, I'm passionate about. And then all these things are refilling my cup because then I and then I can go back and, and give more to my clients. Um, so, yeah, I guess look after yourself, not in a self, well, self-care way as well, obviously, but in a professional way 
and then you can be the best therapist you can be. I reckon that just about finishes up here. Tell me just really quickly, what does Scout Co do? What's what do, what do you do? Um, so I call myself a sports therapist. Yes. So that, that mixes with remedial massage therapy, um, mindset coaching and sports training. Um, so basically holistic um, care of my athletes from mental, physical, psychosocial point of view, making sure that they're able to perform at the best of their ability um, at all times and, and looking after people when, um, when they're not at the best of their ability. And where can we find you online? Um, so you can find me at scoutco.com.au. Um, I'm also on Instagram. So let's be friends at cursed underscore scoutco. Perfect. And for everyone that is listening, uh, the website's got blogs on it. There's heaps of content on there. Um, have a read because, yeah, I think once you once you get in there and dissect some of it, you'll uh, probably learn some things about your own self. I yeah. think it's a good thing. So. Like the blogs are definitely sort of focusing on encouraging people to um, improve their mind-body connectedness and um, become a better better athlete. But a lot of it is gen pop as well. Um, anyone will benefit from that. And there's even some free exercises. So you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. And I think that's, that's the other part too. Like it's not just set around athletes. Hey? Like mindset can be used for just the general population, like a lot of the tools. So, yeah, check it out. And um, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. That's all we have time for in today's show. If you get the chance, head over to YouTube and hit subscribe on the Talk and Chatter page. Also, head over to iTunes and give us a star rating and a review there. It all helps to get the podcast out there. A big thank you goes to everyone that's been doing this already, and uh, we'll be back with another show soon.